You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join him now. If you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are just about done with a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're new here, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, Typically on Sunday mornings, we go through a, a book in the New Testament uh, we're in First Thessalonians now. We start at the beginning, we go to the end. Uh, we're going to be beginning a series in Luke uh, for the Christmas season. Uh, we'll probably be in Luke for about six months. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll pick it back up in Second Thessalonians after that. On Wednesday nights, uh, we go through the Old Testament. We're in the book of First Samuel. And so uh, we just make our way through books of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And right now we're in First Thessalonians. And we're going to finish 1 Thessalonians next week. This week, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of them in the back. Last week, we looked at chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And we began the section of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is talking about the end times. Specifically, death. Because if you think about it, death is the end times for you. And for me, if we're not here for the return of Christ, then our death will bring the end times for us, personally. And so that's part of it. He's been talking about death. He's been talking about the resurrection, not only of Jesus, but our resurrection. And he talked about the return of Christ. And we looked at that last week. Chapter 5 continues the discussion. Something that we need to know is that the chapter breaks in the Bible are, are not inspired by God. I hope that you know that, and and oftentimes they are in places that are kind of awkward, right in the middle of a thought. Sometimes they didn't do a great job of, of breaking it up, and this is one of those because Paul is really continuing his thought about the end times here in chapter 5. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, the focus was upon death and resurrection, and with that now clarified... Paul turns his attention to the responsibility of the living. He was talking about the dead. He was talking about those that have passed on. And he wanted to bring comfort to those that had experienced a loss. But now he is talking about the responsibility of those that are, are, that are alive. The intent of the previous section was to comfort believers. The intent of this section is to challenge believers is to challenge us to live lives that reflect the understanding of His soon return and of the judgment that He is bringing. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, you don't need to turn there, but John says this regarding the hope that we have in Jesus' return. John says this, And everyone who has this hope, every believer, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as he is pure. And so the focus, the intent of the passage before us this morning is to challenge us to live lives that are holy, that are pure, that are consistent with the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. That's what is before us this morning. And I want us to notice two main points in our text. The first is the way Jesus is going to return. The second is the way we should live as a result. 
And so the way Jesus is going to return, the manner, the, the characteristics that will describe his return. And the second thing is the way we should live as a result. Very simple. The way Jesus is going to return, verses 1 through 3. He says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And this is probably twofold, that he has no need, that they have no need that he should write to them. First of all, because we don't need to know the exact time. It's not for us to know. We get so caught up in dates and in times And people write books and there's blogs and there are countless sermons and prophecy conferences that focus on when Jesus is going to return. And Paul says, look, that's not where I want to focus. It's not for you to know. It's the same thing Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 7. They were told, it isn't for you to know the times or the seasons. But what it is incumbent upon you to do is to be filled with the Spirit and to be my witnesses. That's where we should be focused. Jesus told his disciples and Paul tells us here. The second reason I think Paul says there's no need that I should write to you is because Paul had spent time with them and he had taught them these principles and he had taught them in times theology. And so they were familiar but they, they, there was confusion they, they didn't put all of the pieces together. And so, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And so Paul gives Two characteristics, two ways in which Jesus is going to return. First, when many, when most, seemingly, aren't expecting him. He says, as a thief in the night. Now, if you've ever been robbed, you weren't expecting it, right? Because if you were expecting it, you wouldn't get robbed. It's just pretty much the bottom line. I mean, nobody's going to be able to break into your house if they sent you a note that said, I will be there On this night, at this time, you'd be waiting for them. You get robbed because you're not expecting it. Now, Jesus is not comparing himself to a thief to the nth degree. We have to be careful in Bible illustrations that we don't take what Jesus says about himself and then make an entire doctrine about it. God compares himself to an unjust judge as well. It isn't that God is unjust... It's just a comparison. It's an illustration. And the same here. Jesus is not comparing himself to a thief in that he robs and he steals. There's one idea here. And that is that he will come back when we don't expect him. Just like thieves come when you don't expect them. When you're gone. When you're on vacation. In the middle of the night when everyone is asleep. That's when they come. And that's the point. Is that Jesus will come back when most people aren't expecting him to. For they will be saying, peace and safety. It's interesting. It seems that the world will be going through what in most people's mind are good times. It will be peaceful. It will seem safe. I think that the Antichrist will have a lot to do with that. He will have everyone fooled. He will have everyone believing that he is doing a marvelous job 
of leading the world when in fact things are about to crumble. And, and they are interesting times in which we live where people are looking for peace. They're looking for safety in this world. And it will come for a time, for a short time. People will be saying, peace and safety. But Jesus will come back during that time like a thief in the night. Jesus describes it himself in a couple different places in the Gospels. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, Watch therefore, be attentive, be alert. That's the challenge. Watch. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. The exact point that I just made. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus put it like this in Luke 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man in, in, in his return. It will be like the days of Noah. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What was Jesus communicating? That when the flood came upon the earth in Genesis chapter 7, life was going on as normal. They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. Things were normal. That's the point. Things will be normal leading up until the return of Christ. He says it like this, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built... But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now I think both of these comparisons speak to a pre-tribulation rapture theory. Now I believe that, that all of the rapture theories have points to be made and have scriptures that seem to, to make good points. And I'm not here to convince uh, or to twist arms or to make you believe a certain way. And I wrestle with these things daily. But it does seem to indicate that during the, the flood, Noah was protected. Now some would say, well, yeah, he was in the flood, but he was protected from the flood. There's a point to be made there. Likewise, Lot and his family were, were spared. They were sent out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and then judgment came. And so the point here before us, and the point that Jesus makes in the Gospels, is that he's going to come back at a time we do not expect, like a thief in the night, when they're saying peace and safety. Another point, another characteristic of Jesus' return is found in verse 3, and that is that it will be with judgment. It will be at a time that we don't expect. Know that. And it will be with judgment. Look what he says. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. Sudden, like labor pains. Now, I've never had a baby. I know, shocking, right? But I've seen my wife deliver too, and I've watched a fair amount of the A&E, um, what, what's the show called? Baby Story, right? I mean, 
Every pregnant woman wants to watch those for whatever reason, to scare her out of her mind, I guess. But we watch those leading up to the birth. So I've seen a fair amount. I was born. I mean, I remember my birth. I, I remember what it was like. But it's like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And, and I remember being woken up in the middle of the night. Now, my wife went to bed and everything was cool. She, I mean, fairly, you know, she, she was big and uncomfortable, but everything was pretty cool. She wasn't experiencing any major pain. And then all of a sudden it just comes on. Now, sometimes those last for a long time. Some of you ladies know what I mean. You had, you know, 24-hour labors or just these crazy amounts of time. But when they come, they come suddenly. And that's what Jesus says. Like labor pain, sudden destruction. It's just going to hit. No one is expecting it. It's just sudden. And it's destruction. It's judgment. And Paul says, they shall not escape. Which again, I think is interesting. That Paul says, they shall not escape. He doesn't say, we But he says, they shall not escape. And I believe, as we're going to read in our text this morning, that we are not subject to the wrath of God. That we will not endure the wrath of God. That does not mean we will not endure tribulation. That we will not endure persecution. That we will not endure heinous acts at the hands of people that hate Jesus. People are experiencing that around the world. And so why we as Americans think that we will not face that is beyond me because people who have claimed the name of Jesus have been facing persecution since the very beginning. But I don't believe that we are subject to the wrath of God. And Paul is talking about that, that when Jesus comes back, there will be sudden destruction upon those that have denied him and they shall not escape. And so this is the way that Jesus is going to return. When many aren't expecting him and with judgment. And so, how should we live as a result? That's the challenge before us this morning. Too often when we talk about the return of Christ, it's all about when and how and knowledge and becoming smarter and and putting all kinds of current events together and tying it in with the Bible and impressing people with with all kinds of information that, that we happen to know and Too often it's surrounded with paranoia and with propaganda. That is not at all where end times study should lead us. It's not at all where it should lead us. It should lead us to, how should I live my life? Jesus is coming back. That's a fact. It will be suddenly when no one, when many aren't expecting him, and it will be with judgment. And so how should we, how should I live as a result? That's the second point that I want us to look at. And it's found in verses 4 through 11. And there's four ways that we should be living in light of Jesus' return. Four things I want us to look at. The first thing is in anticipation, verse 4. He says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day, the return of Christ... So that this day should overtake you as a thief. We should be expecting it, Jesus said. We should be living in anticipation of his return. We don't know when, but we're living in anticipation. We are looking up, knowing that our redemption is 
drawing close. We're living in anticipation, which really is sort of the backdrop to the other three ways that we should be living. We should be living in anticipation. So how does that look? What does it mean to live in anticipation of Jesus' return? Because people talk about all that all the time. Living in light of his return. Oh yeah, I'm doing that. I'm going to church. I'm trying to be a good person. It's not really what it says though. It's what we should be doing. We should be living in anticipation in three ways. Four ways we should be living in light of his return. The first is in anticipation. And really, three things that describe that. First is in holiness. Verses 5 to 7. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now, the Bible sometimes can be confusing. And sometimes the, the, the verbiage that Paul uses is a little bit beyond us. And it's really simple here. It, it's the simple comparison of light and darkness. The conflict of the two kingdoms of light and darkness. We live in that conflict daily. John spoke of that. Of the conflict between light and darkness. And that's why in his gospel he talks about light and dark constantly. Jesus is the light of the world. It, it says that we are no longer in darkness. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. We are sons of light, daughters of light, sons of the day, daughters of the day. And it's a comparison between being in Christ, you're of the day, you're of the light. He's the light of the world. He exposes our sin and then he cleanses our sin. The, the darkness here, the night, is speaking of those that are in rebellion to Jesus, whose sins are hidden. They haven't confessed them. And he's talking about living in holiness, that we are people of the light, that we shouldn't be living in darkness any longer. He says, therefore, verse 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now, in our previous section, Paul talked about sleep as well, and he used it as a euphemism for death. Now, this is where a little bit of understanding of the original language, which I have very little, and I have to use lots of helps, but a, a little bit of understanding helps because this word sleep in verse 6, in verse 7, and in verse 10 is a different Greek word than it, what is used in the previous section. In the previous section, Paul is using that as a euphemism for death, that when you sleep, when you die, it's like sleep, and he's, he was softening death. For the believer. But here Paul is using this word as a way to describe those who are living lives in, in the flesh, who are living complacently, who claim Jesus on one hand, but on the other are living in such a way that there's no victory over sin and they don't care. And, and it's just a constant giving in to the things of the world. That's what he's talking about when he uses this word sleep. I believe that he's talking about believers. He's talking about Christians who are living like the world, who are following the flesh, who are not living in victory, who are living complacently. He says, therefore, let us not sleep. Let us not live that way as others do, but let us watch and be sober. The idea here of watching 
And being sober is being alert, being attentive, being self-controlled. Living your life in such a way that it's not chaos. That you're not giving in to whatever feels good. That you're not just doing what the flesh tells you to do. That you're not following after the patterns of this world. You're being watchful to your life and to your lifestyle. You're being sober. It's it's talking about being self-controlled. It's all part of holiness. We're not sons of the darkness. We're sons of light. And we should live in light of that. Being watchful, being sober, being self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. And so again, he's, he's using that illustration. Those who sleep, those who are just living in oblivion, which is what sleep is, right? When you go to sleep, you're oblivious to what's going on around you. And that's the comparison that Paul is using for those who claim to be Christians, but who are asleep. Keith Green used to say they're asleep in the light. And that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? To sleep in the light. And what Paul is saying is that those who sleep, they sleep in darkness. That's how you're living. Like a person who is in the darkness. Not like someone who has been translated into the kingdom of light. Into the kingdom of holiness. Into a new life. You're living like someone who's in the darkness. Who's never been forgiven by Jesus, who hasn't been given new life. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way. We should be living in anticipation of his soon return. And one of the ways that that is borne out is in holiness, living in the light. And you guys, we all have areas to grow. Holiness is a, is a continued process. I believe in the New Testament that, that Paul makes it clear that, that holiness is a, is a two-fold experience in Christ. One is our position. That positionally we are holy and righteous in Christ. It's a position we have by virtue of who we are in Him. We're holy. That's why Paul could write to the church at Corinth and call them saints. Have you ever found that to be ironic? Here's this church that's just involved in all kinds of craziness all kinds of sin, and yet Paul says, hey, saints, to the saints in Corinth, to the holy ones. That's positional. It has nothing to do with us. But, you guys, there's a, another aspect of holiness that's not positional, but it's our practice. And it's born out of our position. And I believe that's what Paul talks about in verses 8 through 10, is our position in Christ ought to produce the practice of holiness but we get that flipped around we get that flipped around where we begin to think that it's about how i'm living like i said that we think living in anticipation of christ's return means that i'm going to church i'm trying really hard i want to be a good person we've all said things like that i want to be a good christian i want to be holy but the thing is is that if we're trying to do that in and of ourself, if we're trying to produce the holiness, if we're trying to make it happen, we will fall flat on our face every single time. It has to come forth from the understanding of who we are in Jesus. And when we understand who we are in Jesus 
and that grips our heart and captures our heart, then we begin to live lives of holiness. We begin to practice holiness. And so a third thing, a third way we should be living in light of his return is that we should be living in Christ. We should be living in anticipation. We should be living in holiness. And we should be living in Christ. Verses 8 through 10. But let us who are of the day. And that describes every person who has made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And if that's not you this morning, you have no excuse. Because today is a day that you can say, Jesus, I want new life. I want hope. I want peace. I want to be forgiven. Jesus, I'm tired of living for myself. I want to live for you. I want to be a person of the day, not a person of the darkness, not a person of the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, clear-minded, focused. Those of you that have been drunk, that have been stoned, that have been high, you know the difference between being high and being sober. That when you're drunk, when you're stoned, when you're high, your mind is clouded. You're, you're having hallucinations. You're, you're forgetting about your life. You're putting things out of your mind so that you don't have to deal with them. And your mind begins to just think about other stuff and just trip out. But he says, let us be sober, clear-minded, focused, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul talks about it in Romans 13 He says, putting on Christ. I think that's what he's talking about here. He's using a Roman soldier as an illustration. doesn't mean a lot to us. We don't see people walking around in, in armor today. They did. They saw it every day, and so it was a vivid illustration. But Paul says, just put it on. Just like you put on your clothes, put on Christ daily. Living in the constant awareness of who you are in Christ. Putting off the old man, putting on the new. Putting it on just like you would a breastplate, just like you would a helmet. Putting on Christ, living in Christ. It's a theme of the New Testament. Living in Christ. Not in the flesh, not in the world, but in Christ. Focusing your your thoughts upon Jesus. And you know what? That's a daily hourly, minute-by-minute thing, putting on Christ. Because we live in an insane world that's messed up. And we can get so thrown off. I mean, we're all in the midst of the holiday season right now. We're going to be visiting family. I just got back from spending four or five days with Andrea's family. They're insane. (laughs) I can guarantee you've never experienced anything like Andrea's Italian family, they are a piece of work. She has an aunt that makes a living gambling. That, that it, she left Thanksgiving night at midnight to go to the casino and then to go shopping in the morning on Black Friday. I mean, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. I mean, I had to just, she's telling us the system that she has. She gets these vouchers in the mail and she's got all her friends and family signed up so that she gets all of theirs. And it's free gambling money. And she's making a profit. I told her that they're going to throw you out of there. 
They're going to figure this out. Have you, have you seen, you know, the documentaries about Vegas and, and all that? They make money. <coughs> they don't have these big elaborate casinos because they're going broke. They're going to figure this out and they're going to throw you out on your ear. This lady is insane. And, and we all have crazy families that, that we are going to be around. And, I mean, just going out on Black Friday, it kind of makes you feel dirty almost. You know what I mean? Just like greedy and lustful and a glutton. I mean, people are knocking each other over. And some guy died in a Walmart and nobody even helped him. He's just like being trampled. And again, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. It's crazy what goes on. And we get caught up in that, don't we, during this time of year? I got to get this gift, and I got to buy that, and I got to get the deal. And we get all just spun out on stuff. And if it isn't the holiday season, then it's something else. The new year comes, and it's, you know, I got to buy organizers for the garage and the elliptical, and I got to exercise, and I got to eat right, and... That was another crazy guy in Andrew's family. He, sat, he cornered me and began to talk to me about eating right for your blood type. And, you know, I guess he looks at me and goes, look, dude, you don't look good. Let me help you out. Right? And he's got me cornered. And I'm just like, oh, dear God, somebody rescue me from this insane health nut. And he's just talking about all kinds of crazy stuff and, you know... Uh, tryptophan in the turkey and that's protein and they take it out and that's what they use for Ritalin and I'm just like, wow, where is this guy coming from? It, if it's not one thing, it's another, right? And we get focused on the stuff that will just take our eyes off of Jesus. And Paul says, I, I want you to, to live in Christ. Even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, in the, the craziness, As people are fighting for the deal, you can just remove yourself from that and just say, Lord, if you want me to have it, then have one be there. I'm not going to knock over an old lady to get it. You know, just not going to do it. I'm not going to steal something right out from a little kid's hands, you know. That's for my kid, you know. You're not getting that, you idiot. Get out of here. Just kick him out of the way. I'm not going to do it. Or when you're with your family and and it's just chaos, you can just pray, Lord, just help me to focus on you. Help me to minister to these people. I want to choke this guy right now. (laughs) I can't believe my brother just said that to me. That just irritates me. Lord, where are these people coming from? And just be focused on Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of Faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Putting it on, putting it on daily. Living in Christ. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God didn't appoint us to wrath. He didn't appoint us to the judgment and to his wrath that he is going to pour out upon a Christ-rejecting world. We're not appointed to that. We're appointed to be in Christ. And Jesus took all of the punishment that we deserve. Who, verse 10, died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. It's interesting. He says, 
our, through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Again, the gospel. You guys, we should never move very far from the gospel. We sang about it this morning. Lead me to the cross. We talked about it last week in verse 14 of chapter 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the gospel message. And I don't ever want us to get far from it. And we will talk about it every single week because that's what we're all about, the gospel. Jesus took on human flesh. He humbled himself. He became a man. He lived a perfect life that we could never live. He died in our place. God pouring out his wrath upon him. And he rose again to give us the assurance of new life. Who died for us. And listen, that whether we wake or sleep, you remember the comparison of waking or sleeping in context here. Some interpret this as death and life. That whether we're alive or dead. But that doesn't fit the context of what Paul was talking about in verses 1 through 10. He's talking about sleep as complacency, as living in the world. He's talking about being awake as those who are alert and sober-minded and living for Jesus. Interesting. He says whether we are complacent and living like the world or whether we're living for Jesus, we should live together with him. What's the point? The point is it's not about how you're living. The point is it's not about what you're doing for Jesus. It's about what he did for you. And some of you might be saying, you know, I've been going to this church long enough. I've heard you say the exact opposite in other places. Well, it's because the Bible does. And I don't know what to tell you. Except that the Bible says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it says here, we should live together with him. Again, I don't think we're supposed to know. That's why when people come to me and they say, man, I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm getting stoned. I'm doing all kinds of stuff that I know is wrong. Am I a Christian? And I never will say yes, and I never will say no, because they don't know. And the point is, you need to get your life right, man. Turn it over to Jesus, because you don't want to live in that kind of limbo. You don't want to live in that kind of risk, wondering. But here, the focus is not on how we live. Paul wants to make it very clear that whether you're complacent or whether you're on fire for Jesus, you will live together with him because it's about what Jesus did for you, not about what you can do for him. But I'll say this, if you're not on fire for the Lord, if you're not living in the light, if you're not living soberly and watchful in anticipation of his return, why? Why not? Because the Bible talks about Standing before the Lord and hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Bible talks about those who will stand before the Lord and their entire life will go up in the smoke of the judgment seat of Christ. Because even as believers, we're going to stand before him to be judged for what we did with what he gave us. And I don't want to stand before the Lord and have nothing to show for my life. And so my challenge to you this morning is to live like a person of the light. To live sober-minded, awake, focused on Jesus. 
But we have the assurance that whether we live or whether, or whether we wake or whether we sleep, we shall live together with him. The focus is on Jesus and on what he did for us. The gospel. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And the fourth thing that we ought to be about, the fourth way that we should be living in light of his return is that we should be living in ministry. We should be living in anticipation, which means that we should be living in holiness, in Christ, and lastly, in ministry. That we should be serving, that we should be using our gifts, that we should be mindful of storing up our treasures in heaven and not just here on the earth. Because Jesus is coming back at any time and we want to be living for eternity, not for this world. How are you living this morning? Are you living in ministry, comforting one another? That means to encourage people, comforting one another, encouraging one another. I mean, how amazing is it when someone just gives you a word of encouragement? It doesn't have to be a lot, but when just very simply someone comes to you and says, you know, thank you for, for your service. Thank you for what you're doing. Hey, you know, last week we were talking and and, and you said something, and I know it wasn't a big deal, but, but man, it just really ministered to me. Thank you for that. Or when somebody says, you know, I just want to encourage you in, in your ministry here at the church. I, I know that you don't have a, a real upfront ministry, but I just want to say you're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much for what you do. You know, that can just make somebody's day. As a pastor, when people give me encouraging notes, it means a lot to me. I, I save them. Because sometimes you wonder, is there any fruit? Is there anything going on? And and when people encourage you, it means a lot. And so you guys, encourage one another. That's part of ministry. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be spontaneous. It can be a note, an email, just going up and giving someone an encouraging word. He says, comfort each other, encourage each other, and edify. That means to build up, to strengthen. That's what we ought to be about. In light of his return, if we're living in anticipation, we will be living in holiness, we will be living in Christ, clothing ourselves in Christ, and we will be living in ministry, encouraging one another and edifying one another, building each other up, using our gifts for the edification, for the building up of others. Are you using your gifts? Are you stepping out so that God can use you? Again, it doesn't have to be a big upfront thing. There are lots of things within and without the church. Ways in which you can use your time and your talents and your treasures for the Lord. And some of you have been hearing me say that for six years. And it's time for you to take it from here to here and into your feet and, and walk it out and live it out. And begin to use your gifts. You are all gifted people. Every one of you has a calling, a ministry, a purpose for which God wants to use you. And you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account for what you did with that ministry. Can I be more upfront with you? I challenge you, figure it out. Step out, take risks, be willing to fail. It's good for you. It's good for me to fail. It hurts, it's humiliating, but it's good. 
Be willing to fail. Don't do it for others. Don't do it because you saw it in the bulletin. Do it because God has gripped your heart and you want to serve Him and you want to live your life in absolute and total surrender and abandon to Him. That's why. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for anybody else. Don't do it for applause or accolades or so that you can be noticed. Do it for Jesus. Do it so that you can encourage and edify others. Too much of our life is spent focused on ourselves. We live in the most self-consumed, self-focused society on the planet. And Jesus says, I want you to focus on me, which will then make you focus on others, and I want you to serve. That's what you should be doing in light of my return. Not running around to prophecy conferences and looking at the newspaper and parent, oh my God, what is going on? No. In anticipation, in holiness, in Jesus, in ministry, our tendency, you guys, is to get all wrapped up in dates and times. Look, Jesus is going to return. It's going to happen. And it should change how we live. Our position on end times should not make us lazy and complacent. It should not make us say, hey, I'm good. We're going to get pulled out of here and it's all going to be awesome. Hey, you know what? I hope that that's true. But I don't ever want to give anybody a false sense of something that the Bible is not that clear about in terms of where we're going to be and how it's all going to happen. Because I've seen too much of end times theology make people lazy and complacent in the church. And that shouldn't happen. It should bring holiness and fruitful living. It should bring an awareness that, you know what? Difficult times may be ahead for us. We may have to endure some things that we never imagined. I mean, we are freaking out because we may have to cut the cable. I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, nobody wants to make budget cuts and we're freaking out. You guys, things could get a lot worse. And we, ha- we may have to make some very tough decisions. And we may have to be persecuted for our faith. Not people saying, you idiot Christian. No, people threatening to kill us. People beating us like what is happening all around the world as we speak. The things that have been happening in India over the last month. Christians being terrorized. Missionaries being slaughtered. Churches being burned, filled with people. No way out. Just lit on fire, everybody dead. Guys, we are not promised to escape persecution and trials. I believe, and I'll stand on this, that we will not face the wrath of God ever unless you don't know Jesus. But as Christians, I will stand on that, that we will never experience the wrath of God because Jesus experienced it for us. But we may experience persecution and trial and difficulty that will absolutely blow our minds as Americans. And I would not be doing my job if I were to stand up here and tell you it's all good. We're going to get pulled out of here and never experience those things. I would be doing you a disservice. We need to be prepared for whatever comes. Living in light of his soon return. Living in such a way that when we stand before him, we'll hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, enter into the joy of your Lord.
Guys, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want all of us to hear. I want Calvary Chapel to be so on fire for Jesus, so living in anticipation that we are revolutionizing this community for Jesus. And I hope you're on board with that. Let's stand and pray together. Father, what, a, what an amazing, amazing section of Scripture. God, I pray that it would change us, that it would revolutionize our life. Father, fill us with your Spirit. God, make us like you. God, may we be understanding the way that you're going to come back. And may that change our life. Lord, may we be living in anticipation of your soon return. Jesus, we want to clothe ourselves with you. We don't want to live in darkness. We want to live in the light. We want to live holy lives. God, I pray that you would open up doors of ministry for, for everyone here, God. We've been challenged this morning, every one of us, to, to rethink our lives, to reprioritize. God, I pray that you would give visions and prophecy this morning as to what you're calling people to. Lord, I, I pray that you would gift people right now. God, we pray for your gifts, for your anointing. Lord, we're open to whatever it is you want to do. God, come upon us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Gift us. Lord, we, we don't want to hold back. We don't want to limit what you can do in our lives. Lord, we're open to you. Lord, give us the gifts that will enable us to do the ministry that you're calling us to, God, because your callings are your enablings. Lord, and, and you haven't called us to go out on our own. God, make it clear. God, I pray that you would just create new ministries in this church, without this church. God, I pray that you'd raise up leaders and people who are sold out to you to go out and to reach this community, to, to do ministry within the church, to to glorify you ultimately, Lord. That's our heart. That's what we want. God, do amazing things as we're open to you this morning. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. If you would like to write to us or contribute to this ministry, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Or you may log on to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com. Thank you for listening and God bless.